Amen. Their waiting was over. The gift the Father had promised, which Jesus had spoken about, had arrived. They received the power of the Holy Spirit when he came on them and immediately began to fulfill the command of Christ to be his witnesses. And in one day, at one event, 3,000 people received the gospel, were baptized, and the church was launched. What a day. What a day. Can you imagine being there on the day of Pentecost? All of us have had to wait for something we look forward to. And sometimes the waiting can seem so long. And then when what we've been waiting for comes, everything just goes so fast. Have you found that? Well, that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, where we will read the first 41 verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. 
You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew what God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord is said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. What a day. What an incredible day. And I want us to highlight three things that those who were there that day experienced on day 10. And the first thing that they experienced was the wonder of the Spirit. The wonder of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost came, we find the believers doing exactly what Christ had instructed them to do. Waiting in Jerusalem for the gift the Father promised. And they were now on day 10 since Christ had ascended. Waiting. You see, Pentecost was one of the three major Jewish festivals on the, uh, Israel's annual calendar, which the nation was to congregate in Jerusalem to celebrate. And in Exodus chapter 23, God, through Moses, outlines the three festivals, which his people were to joyfully commemorate, starting with Passover, which was to celebrate their exodus from slavery out of Egypt. That was then followed by Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks or First Fruits, which was to express their gratitude to God for all the grain He had provided. And then the third and final festival was the Festival of Ingathering, which occurred at the end of the year, and that was to celebrate the great harvest of their crops from their fields. So Pentecost fell in the middle, and it occurred on the 50th day after Passover. Pentecost actually means 50th. It was the 50th day after Passover. So not only did Jesus rise from the dead on the first day of the week, becoming the first fruits of those that slept, but the Holy Spirit was given to the believers who were waiting in Jerusalem on the first day of the week. And Luke records in verse 2 through 4 how the Holy Spirit arrived. The Holy Spirit arrived suddenly with a sound and a sight and speech. We see in verse 2, Luke records that a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. All of us have experienced, I'm sure, those pop-up storms that come up in the summer. They just out of nowhere arrive and they come with wind and lightning and thunder. 
And uh, if you haven't, I'm sure you've watched on the news, the poor reporters down in areas that are having a hurricane. And as they're trying to give the report, you can just hear the sound of the violent wind going through their microphone. The Holy Spirit arrived with a sound. The sound of a violent wind blowing. And Luke does not indicate that they felt the wind, just that they heard the sound of a mighty wind. Now, if you're familiar with scriptures, this is not the first place where wind is affiliated or associated with the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, verse 6 and 8, Jesus, when he was speaking to Nicodemus about how one is born again, said this, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Interesting, both the Hebrew and Greek word for spirit means wind or breath. Breath, as in Ezekiel chapter 37, where the power of the Holy Spirit is likened to breath being breathed into dead bones so that they might live. So suddenly, the Holy Spirit came with a sound. But secondly, the Holy Spirit came with a sight. Look what it says in verse 3. A sight to behold. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Again, if you're familiar with the scriptures, similar to wind, fire elsewhere in scripture is associated with the presence of God. Remember Moses and the burning bush. Or how about the Israelites in their wilderness wandering? God would lead them by day with a cloud and at night with a pillar of fire. John the Baptist in Luke 3.16 announces that Christ will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So here on the day of Pentecost, the presence of God through the arrival of the Holy Spirit is accompanied with what looks like tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. That's important because it was indicating that the Spirit will now rest on each believer individually. And it also symbolized the soon-to-be powerful witness of the, these believers to the ends of the earth, reaching people from every tongue and nation. Isn't that what Jesus told them? Wait in Jerusalem for the gift the Father promised. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. Which for them, that day began immediately. Began immediately after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's their witness began immediately and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The gift the Father had promised had arrived. The Holy Spirit being fully God has always existed before the foundation of the world with the Father and with the Son. We see the Holy Spirit prior to Pentecost working in creation throughout Old Testament history and in the life of ministry of Jesus. However, on the day of Pentecost, two significant changes occurred with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit would now dwell in God's people, not just come upon them. And His presence would be permanent, not temporary. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, permanent. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, 
for he lives with you and will be in you. The apostles now had God's life-giving spirit in a more intimate and powerful way than they had ever known. In fact, than anyone had ever known. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, I pray that God, through his word and through the working of the Holy Spirit, will help each of us to realize just who we have living in us. We have the very life-giving spirit of God living in us. That is, for me, mind-boggling. It's absolutely incredible. And note the first demonstration of the intended purpose of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit was for their own good, their own pleasure. No, it was for witnessing. It was for witnessing. The Spirit enabled them to speak in other known dialects that were not their mother tongue or their first language. We know that they weren't speaking some heavenly language that was unknown because of the testimony of those that had gathered there that day from every nation under heaven. Look what they say in verse 6. When they, the crowd, heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. There was never a more international crowd in Jerusalem than at the time of Pentecost. And I think it's really important as I was studying this this week. The sound that accompanied the coming of the Holy Spirit is what piqued their interest they then gathered around and what they heard were the believers praising God, declaring the wonders of God in their own language. At this point, they were not directly sharing the gospel as Peter will later on. They were simply praising God in the people who were listening in their language. And I think that's so important for us to see. Is it important for us to declare the wonders of God through our praise and worship? Absolutely it is. Because even though it's not direct evangelism, it is still sharing the gospel. When you are declaring the wonders of God through singing, through praise and worship, you are indirectly sharing the gospel. And you have no clue how God may use that. People from the north, the south, east, and west were hearing the disciples declaring the wonders of God in their own language. No wonder those who heard this were utterly amazed. Incredible. Can you imagine for my Nigerian brothers and sisters here if next Sunday I came out and started speaking in your language? You would be amazed. Not only were they hearing the wonders of God in their own language, but they were hearing it from Galileans. Now, if you're from Galilee, this is not a slight on you, Okay. But you have to understand the Galilean disciples were not known for being the most educated group of men. They were country bumpkins. As I learned this week, notorious for their accent huh, and their lack of linguistic ability. It reminded me of the guys I hunt with up in Quadville, where our farm is. They're Canadian. They're from the Ottawa Valley. But their twang is so strong that you would have a hard time understanding them. And they're not the most educated guys. It would be as if this man, Uncle Sai from Duck Dynasty, got up in front of the United Nations General Assembly in New York City and before all the delegates from around the world declared the gospel speaking perfect Mandarin. 
let me tell you, those gathered there would be shocked. They would be totally amazed. And that's exactly what happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. Verse 12 and 13 says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine, suggesting that they were drunk, which makes no sense. Because if you've had the sad experience of interacting with a drunk person, their speech is usually slurred, and what they say makes no sense at all. So there's no way they were drunk. Here the Holy Spirit had enabled the disciples to speak clearly. And what they said, even though it was not their mother tongue, made perfect sense to those listening. So what was God revealing? What was God revealing through the gift of the Holy Spirit who enabled his disciples to speak in other tongues? That the gospel, the good news of the sinless life of Jesus Christ, his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection which provides forgiveness of sins is available for all the nations to the ends of the earth. That's God's redemptive plan through Christ which John speaks of in Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Listen to what he records there. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit arrived, was a mighty demonstration of God's mission to gather worshipers like you and I from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue, and was an initial foretaste, looking into the future of the global multitude that will one day unite in praise to the Lamb. The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of Missions says Henry Martin, a missionary to the people of India and Persia in the 1900s, and listen to what he says. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we must become. You see, Pentecost was a reversal of another occasion that happened to Bible that was surrounding languages. Do you remember that? Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. What God orchestrated that day on the day of Pentecost was a reversal of his judgment at the Tower of Babel. When he confused man's languages, God's judgment at Babel scattered the people. But God's blessing at Pentecost united the believers in the Spirit. At Babel, people could not understand each other. But at Pentecost, men heard God's praises and understood what was said. The Tower of Babel was a scheme designed to praise men and make a name for themselves. But at Pentecost, as we've read this morning, was a ministry of humble submission and praise to God. What a contrast. As one author says, Pentecost gives a foretaste of heaven's culture of God-given unity amid beautiful diversity. Pentecost gives a foretaste of heaven's culture, of God-given unity, of faith in Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit, amid beautiful diversity. And the church, and in particular for our contest, Calvary Baptist Church is an outpost meant to reflect the culture of the kingdom of God. And I am so thankful that God is drawing people from all areas of our world to move into this city, to move into this region, so that we will represent well in our local body here the culture and the kingdom of God. 
When was the last time the wonder of the Holy Spirit living in you utterly amazed you? Or we just go day by day, yeah, God's Spirit lives in me. What? They were utterly amazed at the wonder of the gift of the Holy Spirit who lived in them. His indwelling presence, brothers and sisters, should fill our mouths with praise that we would declare the wonders of God. And who knows, as we just obediently, through the power of the Holy Spirit, declare the wonders of God, who knows how God is going to use that to impact those around us. The wonder of the Spirit. Secondly, they experience the empowerment of the Spirit. In verse 14, it says that Peter stood up with the other 11, similar to what he did in chapter 1, verse 15. And as I was looking at that, I thought, huh, I'm starting to get a clear picture of why Peter was chosen to lead the church in Jerusalem, because he was obviously a stand-up guy. He was always standing up. And at this occasion, empowered by the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He responds to their question, which they asked in verse 12. What does this mean? What does this mean that these Galileans are speaking our language, declaring the wonders of God? We must remember that the Holy Spirit empowers us to answer people's questions when on mission. It's something I'm always afraid of. I don't know about you, but I'm afraid in evangelizing and sharing the gospel. What if they ask me something I can't answer? The Holy Spirit empowers us and will empower us to answer people's questions while on mission. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in Mark 13, verse 11? Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what to say. Don't plead the fifth. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So before getting into the details of what this all means, what does Peter do first? He squashes the idea of some of the crowd who are making fun of the disciples, suggesting that they were drunk. Look at the second part of verse 14 and 15. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen, listen carefully to what I say. Do you already see the empowering of the Holy Spirit in Peter as he gets up to answer this crowd? He didn't go, um, so guys... No, he was confident through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. What's the big deal with nine in the morning? Why, why was that so specific? Because Orthodox Jews could not partake of alcohol before 10 in the morning. So if this is at nine in the morning, there's no way that they can be drunk. And not only that, on a holy day, because they were only to participate and partake of alcohol when it was included with a meal. So he's very specific. He says, guys, there's no way they're drunk. It's nine in the morning and it's not mealtime. And then in verse 16, wow, what an opportunity. Peter starts to preach the first sermon in the early church. Can you imagine being given that task? The first sermon in the early church. What's amazing about that is only 15 days earlier, he had committed the greatest denial of Christ in history. And now here he is through the power of the Holy Spirit by God's sovereign plan, is giving the inaugural sermon of the age of grace. Wow, God is amazing. And as the gentleman who you saw baptized this morning, he never gives up on us. Amen? Never gives up on us. And so he starts by directing the crowd's attention as they seek to understand what this means to what God had already revealed. Huh, we learned that last week, didn't we? 
Peter, in his sermon, takes them first to what God has already revealed in the scriptures to help them interpret what they were witnessing. We must rely on the Spirit to guide us to the scriptures when answering people's questions. When I now talk with someone who God is drawing to himself, the first thing I do is listen. Just listen. Let them talk. Listen, listen. But as I'm listening to them, I'm having a conversation with the Holy Spirit. They don't have a clue I'm doing that, but I am. And I'm saying, Holy Spirit, help me to know where in Scripture is there some truth that can help them, that can empower them, that can encourage them today. So I'm listening and I'm listening. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us to Scriptures when answering people's questions. And we need to trust. Trust means that I'll apply it. Trust in the all-sufficiency of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what does Peter do? He, in verses 16 to 21, he quotes what the prophet Joel said in Joel chapter 2 regarding the promise of the Spirit. Now we need to understand, Peter did not say that Pentecost was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy because the signs and wonders predicted by Joel had not occurred at Pentecost. In Joel's context, his prophecy was referring to the nation of Israel in the end times as evidenced by his reference to the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. However, Peter, led by the Spirit, saw in Joel's prophecy an application for the believers and those gathered that day on the day of Pentecost when he was preaching. And the application was this. The same Holy Spirit which Joel prophesies will be poured out in the last days is also being poured out today. Today. The day of Pentecost was the dawning of a new age known as the last days in which God would bring the completion of his plan of salvation for mankind, for you and I. Now that Christ had ascended and Pentecost had come, all believers await the final act of the redemptive plan, the return of the King of Kings, the return of the King of Nations, Jesus Christ. Jesus has finished the great work of redemption. And now he commands you and I, his followers, to share the good news with the world. And specifically for those apostles, they were to start sharing it in Israel and then moving out from there. So that, as we read in verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. Because of Pentecost, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, can know God intimately and should faithfully make him known. If you know God intimately, you should faithfully be making him known. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a participant in the king's mission and he has empowered us by his spirit to tell his story for the world's benefit just as Peter did that day. And you know what's amazing? how God orchestrated this all for us, the example of how the Holy Spirit empowered Peter to share the truth that day will help you and I as we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, evangelize and share the truth with those in our circle of influences. Sometimes you might be wondering, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to explain the gospel to someone. Well, Peter sets out a great example for us here. 
and our witness focus on the central message of the scriptures, the sinless life of Christ, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. So now you know. Already you're ahead of the game this week. If I'm going to talk to someone and talk about who Christ is, his life here on earth, I'm going to talk about his sacrificial death and why he had to die, and I'm going to talk about that he's alive, about his resurrection. Peter explains to those listening that day, the reason this is all happening, what you're witnessing, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, is because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus of Nazareth has indeed been raised from the dead, proving that he is the Messiah. And Peter talks about four different realities of Christ to prove to them that he is alive. And you can remember these. These will be helpful for you. He begins in verse 22 by pointing to Christ's humanity, to his incarnation. Look what he tells them in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. You guys saw him. You know what I'm talking about. Peter's audience knew that Jesus was a real person from the town of Nazareth and that he performed many signs and miracles. It was clear to them that God's hand was on him. They had heard him speak and watched his life. They had even seen him raise the dead. Jesus was a real person. Talk to those who don't know him about his incarnation, that he was a real person here on earth, just like you and just like I. And what does Peter do next? He then shifts their attention from the humanity of Christ to the crucifixion, to his death, incarnation. I can talk about the crucifixion. And what does Peter do? He talks about his death from both a human and a divine perspective, emphasizing again the sovereignty of God over the mission and the responsibility of man. Look at verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. There's the sovereignty. It's the plan of God. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. There's the human responsibility. You see, for the Jewish people, it was not possible to comprehend a crucified Messiah. Messiahs are supposed to win. So how could Jesus possibly be the Messiah when he was crucified and he died? But Peter shows them, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus didn't die as a pathetic victim, but rather he laid down his life in the fulfillment of God's sovereign plan. But he doesn't stop there, does he? And yet reminds them that they are responsible for his crucifixion. And did you know Peter did not present the cross in this context as the place where the sinless substitute died for the sins of the world, but rather where Israel killed her Messiah. Whoa. Can you imagine what these people are starting to think as they hear Peter declare truth through the power of the Holy Spirit? But he doesn't leave it there. And in verse 24, he tells them of the amazing thing God did. Jesus raised up. The one you crucified, Jesus raised up. And he focuses on his resurrection. Verse 24 but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Wow. 
He was raised because of his divine power and God's promise and purpose. Death could not keep Jesus in the grave. And then for the second time, Peter refers to what God had already revealed, but this time through the prophet David, who carried along by the Holy Spirit had recorded in Psalm 16, which here Peter uh, quotes in verses 25 to 28, that God will not let his Holy One see decay. Well, obviously these verses could not apply to David, who was already dead and buried, and who Peter then clarifies in verses 29 to 31. Instead, he was helping them see that these verses and psalms that Peter is quoting there is pointing forward to the resurrection of the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the promise of Psalm 16. And so Peter says with confidence, after talking about his incarnation, after talking about his crucifixion, after talking about his resurrection, he's able to say confidently in verse 33, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. And then he wraps up his sermon in verses 33 to 35, tying the events of Pentecost, what they're experiencing that day, to Jesus' ascension. As Peter gets ready to land the plane, he quotes Psalm 110 verse 1, a psalm clearly pointing to the exaltation of Jesus by ascension to the right hand of God, which Peter himself had been an eyewitness to. Do you see the amazing empowerment of the Holy Spirit through Peter that day, and the logic, scriptural logic that he gave to those listening that day. If the Holy Spirit is in the world, then God must have sent him. And you're witnessing that he's here. Joel promised that one day the Spirit would come, and Jesus himself had promised to send the gift of the Holy Spirit to his people. But if Jesus is dead, folks, he cannot send the Spirit. Therefore, he must be alive. Furthermore, he could not send the Spirit unless he returned to heaven, to the Father, so Jesus has ascended to heaven. His incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. And then in verse 36, Peter drops the mic and ends his sermon by saying, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Wow. What I love to experience that type of filling and anointing and power of the Holy Spirit every Sunday I got up to give you the meal that God has prepared during the week for you to eat. Wow! Peter hadn't even gone to seminary. This is unbelievable. What an experience of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that day. Incredible. Do you experience the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life? Not just to witness, but what about in saying no to sin? Are you experiencing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? The filling of the Spirit has to do with witness and service, which we saw in Peter. How are you doing? How am I doing as a Spirit-empowered witness in those two areas? In sharing the gospel and serving the body of Christ and those who are lost. When you have opportunity to stand up, and answer people's questions. Do you trust the Holy Spirit to give you the answer? Or do you shy away and not answer the question? We can experience the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to answer people's questions, and He will guide us to Scripture to give them those answers. The wonder of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit, and finally, the impact of the Holy Spirit.
It says there in verse 37, I love this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That phrase, cut to the heart, communicates something that happens suddenly and unexpectedly. And I had a personal experience of that last Christmas when I was preparing Pastor Rick's Christmas gift for our staff Christmas gift exchange. And I was at home with an X-Acto knife and I was trying to cut this piece of plastic and like a rookie, I was cutting towards myself and it slipped. And before I knew it, suddenly and unexpectedly, I was cut in my stomach. Not my heart. Whew, thank goodness. My stomach. And I looked down on my dress shirt and there was a pool of blood. And I went... Oh, this ain't good. So I went upstairs to my son, Daryl, who was the only one home. He had worked a late shift the night before, and uh, it was unexpected for him, too, because I woke him up, and I said, buddy, I need you to take me to the hospital. I think I need some stitches, and he's there. <laughs> and you learn. Anyway, he's a good son. We went. We got the stitches done. But what a sacrifice for Pastor Rick to give him, to, that I went through for a Christmas gift, right? <laughs> Like, that's true friendship. Cut to the heart, suddenly, unexpectedly. In grief and remorse and intense spiritual conviction by the Holy Spirit, Peter's listeners were stunned by the indictment that they had killed their Messiah. Wow. They were not expecting to hear that. And what did they long they long to be free from that condemnation. Reminding us that hardened, rebellious, unbelieving hearts can be regenerated. No one is too far for the saving grace of Jesus Christ to reach. They can be regenerated. And God tells us this in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you. Oh, that's good. Are you moved every day by the spirit of God to follow God's decrees and be careful to keep his laws? What about Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 and 5? But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive, regenerated us when we were dead spiritually with Christ it is by grace you have been saved and did you see what happened these guys didn't even wait for an altar call they didn't even wait for the invitation under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the impact of people praising God as enabled by the Holy Spirit, the explanation of what they were witnessing by Scripture, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Peter, they were convicted and said, brothers, what shall we do? They started in verse 12 saying, what does this all mean? <laughs> Here they are later on saying, what shall we do? And so in verse 38, Peter tells them how to be saved. They need to repent of their sins and believe on Jesus Christ. And proof of the sincerity of their repentance and faith is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Identifying themselves publicly with their Messiah and Savior. Just as our brother Paul Ireland did this morning. Only by repenting and believing in Christ could they receive the gift of the Spirit. Please do not misunderstand what Peter is saying. He's not saying that one is saved by being baptized. 
While he emphasizes baptism, it follows belief in word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God about the message of Jesus. But you have to understand in the early church, and I don't know why over time we've gotten away from this. Salvation and baptism were so closely connected together in the early church. It was unheard of to hear of an unbaptized believer. That would be as strange as a maple leaf fam not owning any blue and white. That would just be absolutely ridiculous. That's how ridiculous it was that there was a believer who's not baptized? No, saved and baptized. And when one reads the rest of the conversion text in Acts, it is clear that baptismal regeneration is not what is being taught. Salvation through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ is how one is saved. And then evidence of the sincerity of that repentance and faith will be through the waters of baptism. And the promised blessings of salvation. Just think about this for a second. Just, just take a few seconds. The blessings of salvation. The forgiveness of sins. The gift of eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what you possess if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You have eternal life. You will live forever. Just as Christ lives, so we will live forever. And we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in us, intimately and permanently. And these promises are available for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, both Jews and those far off. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. The Lord's active work in the hearts of rebellious people that day on the day of Pentecost should give us hope as we fully engage in sharing the gospel as his spirit-empowered witnesses. We have nothing to fear. He has given us everything we need to be his ambassadors, his ministers of reconciliation. We cannot be silent. We cannot be silent. As his spirit-filled, empowered witnesses, we will feel compelled to his mission to seek and save the lost. Do you feel compelled for those in your circle of influence who are lost? Look at Peter. Verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. To be honest with you, church family, I don't remember the last time I pleaded with someone to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. That day, Peter, after preaching a sermon, continued with many other words and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. We will feel compelled to his mission to seek and save the lost. So keep lifting up Christ both in deed and word and pray for the Spirit to convict people and to lead them to repentance as by God's grace he did in the first service today. This wasn't just a Pentecost thing. We are still experiencing the impact of the Holy Spirit here at Calvary Baptist Church today in the 9 o'clock service which we give God all the credit and the glory for. Don't miss that on one day, at one event, the Lord rescued 3,000 lost people to himself. When the day started off, there were 120 believers. And as the day went on, there were suddenly 3,120. First fruits of an even greater harvest. 
And each day by God's grace and the faithfulness of you and I, his spirit-empowered witnesses, that number should keep growing because he desires that no one should perish, but that everyone should come to have eternal life. The great harvest on the day of Pentecost established a new community, the Church of Jesus Christ, which you and I are members of if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. A community of new creations in Christ who are empowered to live on mission. So I close. As the church, citizens of his kingdom, let's remain faithful to the ongoing mission of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to offer this good news to all who are still walking in darkness. The wonder of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit, and the impact of the Spirit. Would you bow your head and close your eyes as we prepare to sing our last song? It would be totally ludicrous and a disservice to God's Word and the work of the Holy Spirit if I didn't give you the opportunity this morning to respond as those who responded to the good news that day on the day of Pentecost. There was two ways people responded that day. And the first was this. People repented of their sins, turned from how they were living to follow Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor Calvin, I don't know if my sins are forgiven. I'm not convinced that I have the gift of eternal life. I don't know. And I'm not sure I'm experiencing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I always seem to be defeated. I can't say no to sin. I can't live in a way that's pleasing to God. I'm not sure, but I want to know this morning that my sins are forgiven, that I do have eternal life, and I have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit living in me. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ, turn from my sins, and follow Him. If you're here this morning, and, and that's you, God is giving you this opportunity because He loves you. And he does not want you to perish and be separated from him. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor Calvin, just by lifting your hand, it's you and me and God. Everyone else, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Don't miss this opportunity. If you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, just raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Thank you at the back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you at the back on the left. Thank you. God loves you and he has given you this opportunity today to have your life changed forever. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's placing your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. But I want to pray a prayer because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, three days later you will be saved. And I want you to have that opportunity to confess today by praying and acknowledging that you are a sinner and you are wanting to receive Jesus as your Savior. So as I pray, you just repeat the prayer quietly. This is you saying, God, I receive Jesus as my Savior. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you sent your one and only Son to this world to live a perfect sinless life, to go to the cross, and to die so that I could have my sins forgiven. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. 
But today, I want to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. I want to receive him as my personal savior. And so God, I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I receive Jesus as my savior. Thank you that today I can leave knowing my sins are forgiven. I have eternal life. And I now have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in me. Help me now to live as a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed. Not only that day, but there was also a response to, in baptism. In the early church, it was unheard of to hear of an unbaptized believer. And so if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ and have not yet been baptized, in love, I plead with you, that doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense. And so maybe this morning as an act of obedience, you would just want to raise your hand and say, Pastor Calvin, I need to get baptized. And this week, I'm going to call the office. I'm going to talk to one of the pastors, but I'm raising my hand so that you can pray for me and hold me accountable that I will follow up this week. If you're here this morning and you're a believer who hasn't been baptized, and through God's word this morning, you realize that's wrong and I just need to be obedient and be baptized, please raise your hand and, and we will pray for you. Anyone here? Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for cutting into the hearts of us this morning. Thank you for giving people the gift of faith to believe in Jesus Christ. And thank you for convicting us where we are living in disobedience to you. And so I pray for those who have indicated by raising their hand, you know who they are, that they will follow up on what they have committed to you this morning, that they will walk in obedience, follow your commands. Thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we will experience in a new and fresh way his presence and his power in our lives. We praise you, King Jesus. And it's our desire to serve you with excellence through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Woo! That gets me excited. The church of Christ was born and we are fruit of that first fruit. Isn't that incredible? That's not, that's not history that we can't relate to. That really No, that's our brothers and sisters. And the same Holy Spirit that indwelt them that day now indwells us. Absolutely incredible. I started this morning by saying, we're a family. And we need to act and be like a family. And so, brothers and sisters, this morning, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has adopted new sisters and brothers into our family. Are you excited about that this morning? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you are here this morning and you raised your hand to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, I am so thrilled for God's work in your life today. And we love you as a brothers and sisters in the family of God. We would like to know who you are so that we can help you grow in your relationship with Christ. So please come up and talk to one of the pastors after the service. We have a resource for you. Sign up for the new believers class. What perfect timing. Starts Tuesday night. We want to help you. Please come and introduce yourself to us. And for those of you who raised your hands for baptism, make sure and get that phone call into the church office, even this afternoon. Leave a message. All right? Brothers and sisters, this is crazy, unbelievable good news. The Spirit of God dwells in us. This week as we go out as his, on His mission, let's be in wonder of the Spirit. 
Let's experience the empowerment of, and let's watch the impact of the Holy Spirit and see what God will do to add to his number. Amen? Amen. God bless you.